I think I, you force your kid to wrestle through junior high the same way you force them to read, do math, do science, go to school, all of those things. Not because you expect them to be an English major or write books or be a mathematician or be a teacher or you don't teach, you don't have your kids do those things be, for a specific reason other than to make them a better person. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Tuesday, February 21st. Coming to you from the Windy Chicago IL, our guest today is former Hodge Trophy winner and 2001 NCAA Division III champion Nick Ackerman. This is a story that transcends wrestling in terms of what Nick was able to overcome to get to the top of the Division III podium. I won't give away the story. Fantastic interview, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Alex Solstice. Alex is a fellow sales executive, a sales account executive, I should say, based out of New York. Alex, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Beat the Street Chicago. Beat the Street Chicago is our favorite nonprofit. Their goal is to help every Chicago youth say that wrestling changed their life. If you want to support the cause, and I know you do, Go to btschicago.org slash donate. btschicago.org slash donate. This episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Nick Ackerman. I'm so excited for this conversation. I did a, did all the prep this morning, so it's fresh in the mind, man. I, I know we uh, we haven't met in person, but Ryan Warner, I host, I've been hosting this podcast uh, over four years now. I'm based out of Chicago, but I grew up in the Quad City. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you used to be out of <clears throat> Davenport. So, yeah, I used to be there uh, uh, 
just talked recently to Monty Cox, the big fight promoter. Yeah. Over there for all the UFC guys. He called, he's writing a book and he's putting a blurb in there and had to ask some questions. So <clears throat> just talked to him the other day and saw that Jen Fulver is getting inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, which is awesome and overdue. Yeah. So super happy for him as well. So were you going to Militich during that era? Yeah. So I moved over there in 2001 and I walked into a gym just to lift and work out and the gal behind the desk said, are you Nick? And I said, well, how do you know who I am? And she said, my boyfriend's Jason Black. And uh, I said, well, what's Blackie up to? And oh, he's downstairs. They roll downstairs. And I said, I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. So I went down there and started. Uh, they taught me jujitsu. And, and uh, I worked out with those guys for seven or eight years, pretty religiously. You know, I was part of the that whole from 2001 to about 2008, I could almost tell you the day that our son was born, uh, uh, or 2009, I guess it would have been that, uh, that's, that's when the grappling career stopped after, after that. So just from a time management standpoint. And now that you say that, I do remember, <laughs> I remember seeing you there a few times because I graduated Genesee in 07. Okay. A distant cousin of mine is Steve Rusk. Yeah, I know Rusk well. What an animal, right? Unbelievable. Uh, so tough. So um, he invited us down there. And so my brother and I went maybe a couple months of just kind of rolling, just got out of wrestling, seeing what's going on. And that was an interesting room, right? You had legit guys fighting on the UFC rolling with with guys, just uh, just common guys, you know, off the street. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah it was fun. It was, it was. It seems like another lifetime ago, but it was, uh, you know, from – Jeremy Horn to Dave Manet, of course, Jason Black and Jens Pulver and Matt Hughes. And then Tim Sylvia had moved there right before I did or right after one of the two and right before, I believe. And uh, all these guys that were just there for a common goal to work out and, and train with some of the best guys. And, and I just happened to stumble into it uh, off of a wrestling career and uh, waddle in on my knees and, and uh, they took me in, man. Pat's been great to me, and that whole group of people have nothing but been very gracious to me. And and uh, I learned jujitsu and grappled with some of the best in the world, and learned from some of the best in the world for a long time. And it was it was fun. I grappled in a lot of big tournaments in the Abu Dhabi, the World Championships. That was in 2007. Um, you went to Abu Dhabi. Was that the year Steve went? <clears throat> yeah, Steve and I and his and his wife went. Yeah, we. Uh, uh, we were supposed to be these uh, Iowa wrestlers that were supposed to knock off the Brazilians, but I lost to this European guy, champion from Poland or something, and I, nobody spoke English, and I didn't know whether I won or lost. We do a, like a 15-minute roll, and we, they kind of look around, and they raise his hand. Same thing happened for Rusk, but they raised Rusk's hand. He's like, I don't know why I won. I was like, I don't know why I lost. I was like, ah, either way, we're good. So it was fun. It was a... We happened to be in Trenton, New Jersey that year, of course, post 9-11. And so nobody was going over to Abu Dhabi, uh, but they were all, all the sheiks and all the people were over there. It was, it was an interesting event for sure, but uh, uh, it was fun. It's probably so much bigger now. <clears throat> Last year it was in Vegas and it was, I think it was 15,000 some people sold out. Was it big yeah. then? Uh, it was like a, like an ice arena or something, you know, smaller, didn't hold a, ton of people maybe a couple thousand people but uh it was it was pretty busy but you know i felt like you had to know about it and you had to be looking for it i don't know um that was during the era when even mentioning ufc to a normal person was kind of like 
I always say it's kind of like mentioning porn. It's like a dark art. You know, no one even <laughs> talked about UFC back then. It was maybe, oh, I can't remember when um, Hughes fought Gracie. That was a big one. And I remember that maybe like, oh, six. Mm-hmm. That was like the first one we all got, like the high school guys bought a pay-per-view together for. So that was kind of when it was coming out. But even before that, we would see these these videos of, of Militich fighting and he wore the briefs with the Iowa logo on it. And you you yeah. were like, what is this like barbaric sport? It's so crazy. Wow. It all happened in the Quad Cities. <clears throat> it, it is. And it, you know what? I think you realize is that it did have a really kind of negative connotation in like this barbaric sport. But when you really realize it and now where it's come in the last, you know, 15 years or more is it, it is truly an art skill set. Like you, I talk to people all the time. We still grapple sometimes, you know, I'm getting old and out of shape now, but like you still roll around and grapple. And I describe it as like, um, chess, uh, like a slow paced chess, uh, with a boa constrictor. Like you just kind of roll, roll and you're kind of flowy. And it's, it's a different pace than wrestling. Like wrestling is just smash, smash, smash in your face for seven minutes. Jujitsu is like, I'm going to roll you around and then I'm going to, as soon as I feel it, it's going to sink in and it's going to, and it's yeah. over. It's like, so it's, it's just a completely different tempo and it's a completely different mindset. Um, but man, the transition from wrestling to jujitsu was awesome. And to be, happen to be in the greatest gym in the world at the time, uh, was just, a stumbled into that. Yeah. It's, it is a, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, art form I, I don't roll all the time but every once in a while i'll get a wild hair and go for like a month and then i'm just like ah, i don't have the time but it is crazy mm-hmm. how you'll go to a, a class and you go with a guy who looks like a 45 year old mathematician and but he's a brown belt and then you're trying to like go 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 and he'll just sit there and take it and then tap you up maybe 12 times within a minute and you just can't believe like it's that effective it's so frustrating humbling and i guess if you're really strong, inspiring, but mainly just frustrating. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, that's true. But I, I think that it's kind of like uh, everybody that quits doing jujitsu, myself included, says it's because they don't have time to do it. And the reason I think they say that is because it's such an addictive sport. Like mm-hmm. it's so addictive, man. You go in there and as soon as you learn one setup or one sweep or one counter, you're like, you like can't wait to get back to roll and put somebody's head in that same spot and bait that move and switch. And then, ah, here we go. It's going to do it. And then, you know, sink it in. And it's so addictive that you like, you either have to walk away from it and not do it. Or if you're in it, it's like you are, you want to go three nights a week and your wife hates you. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and it's a, you know, I know this is a, a wrestling podcast, but I do love all forms of grappling. And, you know, one of the cooler things I found just researching you is one of your dreams, and maybe you've already done this, is that you wanted to create a DVD series for high school coaches if they have a, a double amputee, a single amputee. Have you done that? I have not. And I have, uh, if this is the springboard to help it happen, I would be super happy. You know, it's it comes in waves, right? Like uh, everything does. And I'll get contacted, especially, you know, especially right after college and when everybody is familiar with what I did and where I did it at and they, oh, they see this, um, they hit me up and ask me those things and I'll talk to coaches and I'll do those things. But, uh, as recently as like, I don't know, maybe five or less years ago, 
I got on this kick again. I was like, man, these coaches keep hitting me up and they keep saying, Hey, I have this kid that walked into my room. That's missing an arm or a leg or any number of things. And do you have any technique you can help him with? Man, that's like, it's like impossible. Right. Cause like you don't, I need to see them. Like I need to watch them walk onto the mat. I need to see what they do. I need to see what they don't do or what they don't have and what they do have. And, and, and then you, you know, you, yeah, I could come up with some stuff, but what you're referring to is what I think is really needed. And I, I've reached out to Rudis and I've reached out to some others that are in the, I don't make videos. Right. Um, but uh, I said, let me help organize this in some way. Like uh, let's get, Roblacer, somebody who's a high-level hip disc articulation on one side. Let's get a, a bilateral below the knee, somebody like myself. Let's get somebody who's one leg below. Let's get uh, Doyle Trout, one leg above the knee, right? That's different than Roblacer, who's one leg through the hip on one side, right? That's a different stance. What about a kid with one arm, you know? What about a kid that, you know, uh, I don't know. And all these coaches just want a resource. You know, they just want to – we know all coaches don't know everything right like uh but back in the day you'd buy the cradle series by this guy or this outside single by this group of guys and and the coach would study it and then he would go into the room and he would teach it he wasn't the master at the outside single or the low john smith low single but he could learn it from dvd and he could teach it to these kids there's no resource like that when a kid walks into a wrestling room with one leg or no leg the beauty i had was my high school coach and my little kid youth coaches, you know, we're small town, Iowa. And they just said, come on in. We'll let everybody get beat up. And, uh, and they just let me go come in and, and they tried to work through it. That's a lot to ask every coach, you know, they're, especially as clubs are bigger and rooms are bigger and it's easy to coach the really good kids. Like give these coaches a resource that in their off time, they can, be like, Oh, how am I going to help little Johnny here? That's missing a leg. Like where, what's out there? Wow. Well, you know, and most of the time they just Google like amputee wrestler and my name pops up and they find me on the internet somewhere and message right. me. And then, and then we have a conversation, but no, that project is not taken off. Um, I've talked to a few different people, uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a definite needed thing because I think this sport is for everybody as they say, um, you know, fat, skinny, tall, short, legs, no legs, blind, deaf, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's for everybody. And, and everybody gets something out of it. So that's um, the best part about it, right? Like what other sport can so many people win at? It's just so yeah. wild to think about. And I, I have some ideas for you. I, I do some filming and there, there's a, a huge YouTube show out in Des Moines. They're called stalemates. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, but either way, I think I have some ideas and at least how we could film it. And then whoever wants to distribute it, you know, I, that's up to you. But I do think that's such a valuable resource because that is, um, that again, that's what makes wrestling great is the fact that other, you know, everyone can do it. And such a smart idea to have a, to have it broken down by like, like you said, guys like Robles, guys like yourself, unless you're in that world, you don't think about the nuances of technique for someone who's in a different situation like that, like the one, mm -hmm. you know, two legs, one leg, whatever. So I, uh, I was inspired to hear your idea and I, I want to see, uh, if, you know, when the timing's right to make it happen. Cause I think it'd be really cool. Awesome, man. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, that'd be great. So when you think about your technique, 
and, and some of the big turning points in your life, the people who know your story, you know, 18 months old, you had a severe case of meningitis and both of your, your legs are amputated. You start wrestling in third grade and kind of slowly make your way through the ranks. One of the things that was noticed or interesting to me was that you noticed from an early age, third grade on, that when you're wrestling, there's like an extra level of attention on your matches. And I was just curious, like, how did you deal with that? Was it something that excited you or was it like a negative? No, I I think I'm this way today and about everything I do. I'm pretty oblivious to everybody around me. Um, and I think that's kind of a bad thing when it comes to professional work, life, home balance. Like I have blinders on and I take care of what I need to take care of. And and I'm pretty focused on on what I'm doing. Um, but I really don't care about what other people think or are doing. Um, I expect people who I'm working with or dealing with to operate at a high level, but outside of that, whatever their opinion of me, uh, I have this uh, ability to separate it out. But yeah, no, when I'd walk on the mat, you knew everybody was watching, you know, you could feel it. They, you know, uh, there'd be, you know, a few Colfax fans in the stands and, half the half the gym is clapping you know you know they don't know who i they don't know me and they just are clapping because the kids have no legs on which is kind of not it's very nice right but like it doesn't, it doesn't really translate to much but i got a lot of pats on the head when i'd lose because honestly the reality is is anybody who knew me growing up and anybody who watched me wrestle and including all my coaches and parents my mom told tells my kids now she's like oh we just used to wish Nick would get pinned in the first period. So it wasn't, wasn't so terrible to watch all three periods. You know, I lost every single match. Like I lost every single match as a youth wrestler. And even in through junior high and into high school, I think freshman and sophomore year, I maybe won four matches combined varsity matches. So what the I, heck happened? How did you turn the well, corner? Well, you know, I did. You've seen the, cartoon where the guy's digging in the hole and he's digging through right and he's just about to get to the gold or whatever the reward is and he stops and he sits down and he's yeah i've been digging this long ways and uh, i'm tired and i'm done um i had coaches around me that didn't let me stop digging um i had coaches around me and my parents and my brother that were like hey go do it go get after it and and when you were tired you take a break, never quit the sport. I never took a year off. I never walked away from the sport ever. Um, but, you know, I also didn't wrestle year round like kids do nowadays. And so maybe if that was the case, I would have walked away from, from it before I got there. But I think what it means is I kept digging and I kept working and there would be a coach or a teammate or somebody in the room that would say, hey, you should try this. Okay, you should try this. I remember some of these distinctly. Like when I when I changed my stance, so first of all, like I can't bridge, right? Like I can't push with my feet off my head to bridge. There's no, you know, so if I went to my back, chances are I was getting pinned, right? Like how are you getting off your back? Like I can't bridge. Like, um, So first thing I had to do is get really strong. Um, so I lifted a lot. I grew up pig farming a lot and working in bale and hay and doing all the things that Iowa kids do. <clears throat> and we, I got really strong, strong, like in a way that wasn't like weight room strong. And I was in the weight room a fair amount, a lot, but really didn't commit to it till probably my junior, sophomore, junior summer for the rest of the weight room. But I was always 
working outdoors and working, you know, for the local pig farmers and bailing hay, do those things. So I was getting stronger. Um, and as soon as I figured out how to get my neck stronger, okay, well now I can bridge from my butt to my neck and I can lock that up and that can be pretty strong, but people figure that out and they can pin you. So as soon as I figured out how to get out of a front headlock, right? So I'm on my four, I'm on my knees and on my hands, right? Like it's a simple front headlock and every high school kid learns how to, you know, block and spin, you know, drill. That's what they drill all every day in practice, right? It's been uh, block spin drills. Like, so they, as soon as they figured out how to shift, shift and throw me the side, they scored takedown after takedown. And, you know, um, so first I figured out when I, the day I figured out how to stay out of a front headlock was a big day. The day I figured out on bottom. Okay. So now I, I start on bottom the day I figured out, that if I can get somebody's hand, if I can, my elbows can get in and I can beat my elbow inside and their hand lands to the outside and I can grab a hold of this hand that's on this outside, I'm out. As soon as I figured that out, I was like, well, there's nobody that can ride me now. Like, I, I can get out from anybody. Like, I don't care what position I'm in, I'm moving. They put their hand, I can beat my elbow in here. If I can dig this elbow in, as soon as they go to the outside, I'm out. Okay. So I figured out how to get out of the front headlock. I figured out how to get out from the bottom and then just genetically I'm, I'm tall. My family's tall, right? My brother's six, six or six, five, six, six. He was a college basketball player. My dad's six, five, my mom's five, eight, like I'd be a tall kid. So therefore my arms are really long. So on top, well, what am I going to do? And as soon as I figured out my cradle, I have three moves, right? Like I have a short sit, I have a, a, a ankle pick. My I figured out my that was a, that came later. Uh, my takedown. I mean, normally my takedowns were kind of dives in, dive ins, and terrible. Uh, but as soon as I figured out uh, how to ankle pick people and how to pin people, well, that's that's when it all turns around, right? And you combine that with some strength. But uh, the reality was I was terrible. Uh, I lost all the time, and and uh, you just don't just don't quit so the ankle pick had to be big because of the yeah. length when was yeah. that so late late in high school and kind of more perfected in college uh when i was a freshman at simpson uh cory christensen was a senior i believe yeah he's a senior and uh that dude is was a wealth of knowledge for me he kind of would beat me up during the day, during practice, um, just not on a mean way, but, you know, he'd kick my butt for, for quite a while. And then he took it on himself for some reason, and I don't even know what it is, but he took it on himself to be like, I don't know if it was a, a, a puzzle for him or what. He'd be like, why don't you try this? Well, you don't do that. Don't, that's dumb. Don't do that. Grab here instead of here. Oh, okay. And, I, and like these, so like, my takedown, which is really simple, which is like, I don't know, it, it works and it's zero effort. Um, and my right arm, I grab their left wrist, right? So I'm, I'm reaching out. I have a hold of their left wrist and I pull the left wrist, just kind of pop it down and pull it down to the ground. And their left foot steps every single time. Like if you pull somebody's left wrist towards the ground, their left foot steps forward to catch them. So I figured out that if I could grab a hold of this left wrist, pull it down, and as soon as they were in midair stepping, I turned my hand from this way to this way to thumb down, and I swept out, 
And I, I brought them forward, swept out, and that foot's right there, and they just sit right on their butt every single time. So would you grab uh, it with the right yeah. hand, the, the foot with no. the right hand, the left hand? No, left, right, right hand always. Right hand to their left hand. Near wrist, yep. Yep, Snap near wrist. it. Pull it, pull it down, and as soon as they step, I let go of the wrist, and I turn my hand this way and cup their heel. My, oh, my thumb's right on the mat. Okay. My thumb's right on the mat, and it just goes, and they wow. will sit right on their butt. So back to the very beginning of this conversation, the reason that Monty Cox is calling me to talk about this book is he he's talking about these people that were in the room that weren't fighters, that were doing a bunch of stuff, and he's telling the story, you'll read it in this book, about um, – Laverne Clark, who was like a professional boxer, fighter, kind of really tough dude, very nice, but just very tough and very rough guy. And we were doing takedowns on Monday nights, and he said he was coming in to wrestle me. And uh, I walk out on the mat. And he's like, "No, no, no, man, I'm I'm here to I'm here to get better with the best in the world," you know. And Pat would do that. He would send people like, "Hey." go try and wrestle with this poor old man. And it was like this guy we called coach. who was like the strongest dude in the room. who was like 60 years old. who would crush you, you know, uh, or Hey, go wrestle our poor friend here. Nick who's missing his legs. And they're like, okay. And then, you know, you'd put the hammer on him and it was kind of fun for Pat to watch. But so this Laverne was like, man, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm here to wrestle the best in the world, man. I don't, I, I, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want, you know, very, very nice, but like, very like, I said, no, we're okay. We're good, man. Let's wrestle. Let's go. We're takedowns. I can't. Like, I don't know this guy. I've never met him before. Uh, big, tall, thin athlete, just strong boxer guy, good wrestler too. And, and he's like, finally, I got through and he's like, fine, man, no mercy, no mercy, man. I slapped, slapped hands and I heel picked him in like two seconds and everybody in the gym starts laughing and they're just dying. I'm like, no, <laughs> no mercy, Laverne. Ah, you know, it's pretty funny, you know. Like the wow. poor guy had no clue what was happening. He had no clue what he was in for. And, uh, but the day I learned that heel pick was like, you know, getting into a front headlock, same thing. Like it's all wrestling fundamentals, right? The best way to stay off your back is then to go to your back. The best way to get out of a front headlock is not be in a front headlock, you know, right, right. all of those things. So, so like that allowed me, uh, and I think it was maybe Corey or maybe it was coach Peterson that suggested that I come upright more, bring my chest upright more. Don't be so low to the ground, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I kind of a right knee leg lead. Um, and so I always reach with my left hand and, and my right hand was kind of down near the mat and kind of reaching for near wrist often. So, uh, but those types of things that you figure out those little puzzle pieces and next thing you know, you're, you're off your back. So now you're wrestling three periods. Uh, you're figuring out when I get in these bad positions that that's not the end of it. The front headlock doesn't mean I'm getting taken down every time. And when I'm on top, man, I have a chance of pinning anybody in the country. And, uh, you know, including who I remember wrestling Kelsey Anderson my junior year. And man, I locked up that cradle on top and I thought, here we go. This is my only chance. I was probably down like 13 to nothing at this point. What uh, happened? I got tech balled like everybody else in the world. Um, no, with the cradle though, you had it locked yeah, up. No, what I, I locked, I locked it up, and I was like, "Here we go!" And my coaches are all perked up, like, "Oh, this is gonna be good." And then he straightened his leg out, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty terrible, but uh, I really thought I, you know, but you know, so yeah, so you got two, two or three things. Like I figured out how to get stronger. Uh, my grip strength is really strong. Like that is, uh, you know, that is something that 
um, allowed me to not get away with bad things, but allowed me to like, when I lock up on somebody's wrist, like it's, I'm going to keep it until I give it back. And, and you breezed through this earlier, but you're big on training wrestling without wrestling. And you mentioned the, the pig farming, you know, I'm not, I have no experience with this, but I listened to an interview you did with Kyle Klingman and mm-hmm. you were like picking up 300 pigs a day. You said yeah. at this job, like yeah. all summer, all day, just picking yeah. up pigs. Oh. Yeah. Like, so you'd wean, you'd wean, you'd wean these like 60 pound pigs. And so I'm in high school. Right. And uh, the farmer who actually I ran into a year or so after the national tournament. And I remember running into him saying, Hey, I don't know if I've thanked you enough, but like all of these pigs that I had to lift, like, like I remember you'd lift these big, you know, you wean them. So they're in two different pens and they're like running around and they're like, okay, well, so first, you know, when they're smaller, you cut teeth and tails and castrate and do all that stuff. And then as they get older, we're sorting pigs to put them in for a truck to come pick them up. And it's a small town time farm. It's not a big confinement, you know, big automated anything. It is this guy and another guy, kid that have to pick these up. Oh, that one's too small. Put them over here. This one's too big. Put them over here. Or we'd take them and we'd have a stock rack in the back of the truck and I'd be in the back of the truck and I'd have to pick every one of them up uh, by their back legs. And the farmer would put shots in and give them vaccines or whatever they were doing. And, and then, We'd hand them down in those days besides shovel manure and besides doing all that stuff, but like uh, moving huts and pulling rebar stakes out and those things besides that stuff. Like I remember going home from those, from those days and getting in the shower to wash my hair and your hands cramp up and you can't move them. You're like, Oh my gosh, my forearms hurt so bad, you know, cause you can't, can't open and close your hands. And by accident, this turns out to be one of the greatest assets that I had was this ability to grab a hold of a shaking pig as it's kicking and holding it up and trying to grab another one as it's kicking, you know, and you're, uh, it, That's it was like the it perfect was, functional workout. The thing's moving, it's heavy and you got to hold yeah. on to it for dear life. Like that is, you can't, or the guy's going to yell at you or he's going to scream at you. So, I'm yeah, thinking the pig will attack you. They don't bite you or anything no, like that. No, no, no. They're just a little pig. No, no, no. They're like, they're, yeah, no. So it was a accidental, like kind of happy accident or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that was a, I mean, that is a, honestly, you fast forward now uh, to where I'm at in my life and I have three boys and we have all these non-wrestling functional things at our house, slack line in the backyard between trees, you know, we have a wrestling room in the basement, but we've wrestle down there real practice a couple times a year and that's just getting ready for little kid state stuff not like we're not going down there grinding you know mm-hmm. three nights a week in the house but but you know trampolines and and uh all these different things that uh spin up bars that are just out there you know like different things to get them to work out or build balance or build strength without you know going to the gym um but yeah. More just from a a fun aspect and, you know. Well, I think it's cool that you in doing that, but you're also kind of recreating it for your kids so they get some of that advantage without, you know, spending all day on a on a pig farm. I wanted to ask about this person before we get into some of the big matches. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Is it Gary Cheneg? Chining? Uh Cheney? Yeah. Gary Cheney. The guy who's yeah. Cheney. The, the guy who's uh, had made my legs for 22 years before I made mine, that, that gentleman, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I understand that you said he was so important to you 
as a kid and, and throughout your life that almost like a second father. So tell us about that relationship. Yeah. So Gary uh, is an amazing guy. He, uh, he just recently retired. I used to literally from this office where I'm sitting now, he used to work around the corner in another office in the San Francisco building uh, where we, where we do work. But um, so when you're two years old and you're 18 months old and you lose your leg, ultimately your parents have control of everything, right? Because I don't know about it and I don't know anything. So ultimately Gary took care of my parents when they come with this child that's missing his legs and says, Hey, uh, can you help us? And Gary says, yeah, we can do that. And him, uh, his brother owned this company for a number of years. And, and uh, he kind of, took me and took my parents uh, under his wing or just kind of as, as a patient. And man, he allowed me to have this life that was um, really unlimited. You know, he would uh, kind of same model as all my coaches later in life. And, and my parents from birth was like, no excuses. What do you want to do? You can do anything you want. We'll make you a set of, prosthetic limbs that's not hard to do um when they break i'll fix them when you need new ones and you grow we'll make new ones but ultimately not a big deal let's move on and, and so yeah so he he's made my leg since i was two years old he uh and then after college uh i called him up and i said hey uh any chance i could come work for your company and he again said absolutely and and uh i came and uh went to work for their company and and uh that's kind of wow. where i'm ultimately at now so yeah he unbelievable guy unbelievable family and uh you know it's kind of what you do right like it it was his job right to build limbs and the kid just happens to come in with his parents but i mean i do it now in my professional work but like you're dealing with parents like and there's no important commodity in the world than your children. And so these parents are really concerned about their kids and like, uh, and they're, and they're often in, not often, they're always in a not perfect uh, situation if they're seeing us, you know, right. like they're missing something. So something's happened. It's amazing how you got into your career in the first place, because it, it just from the, some articles, it looks like you were going to be a park ranger. So you're a big outdoorsman. Yep. You go on the Today Show, which I want to mm -hmm. ask you about, and you start to get some calls from people who are inspired by your message. What happened after that Today Show aired? Yeah, so it was either right before the Today Show or right after. It was from a USA Today article that was written that uh, I still don't know if this person exists. His name's Chris, I believe, from Texas. And he uh, was in a car wreck and lost a leg and was maybe going to lose another one. And he didn't know what uh, didn't know what he was doing right like he's like I'm 19 years old and I'm in this bed and I read this article about this kid that just won a national title uh, that doesn't have legs and apparently that's what I'm gonna look like like how does this work and so we talked a handful of times um, over the course of a couple weeks and it was kind of more like PS really what I know now in my professional career, but I, at that time when I'm 21 year old college kid, I thought were really silly questions. We're like, you know, uh, well, you know, how do you take a shower? I don't know. I just walk into my knees and take a shower. What do you mean? How do you take it? Like, what do you know? Yeah. Logical questions for a 19 year old, but like, 
what do girls think? Like, how do, like, what's, how, do you have a girlfriend or like, how's that work? Like, um, he asked what type of underwear I wore. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I wear normal underwear. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> like, uh, but it was like, when you have your world flipped upside down at 19 years old and you're missing that, you're sitting in this bed and you're missing both. Like now as, at where I'm at now in my life at 40, whatever I am. And, and uh, making limbs from you. I noticed that these are all very normal questions. But when I was 21 years old, I didn't have a lot of time for them. I was kind of like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You're fine. You need to get over this and move on. Like, this is not a big deal. Like, go to your physical therapy. Do your work. Do the work. I don't know. I don't What do you mean? Like, well, so what if they cut the other leg off? Like, who cares? Like, you'll be fine. It might be better to have both of them gone. Like, I like not having both legs. Like, like but at the time, you know, I he was just reaching out, trying to find somebody that he could draw uh, some similarities to that can answer some of his real world questions. And uh, I happened to be that person. But ultimately, I got off the phone with him one night and I remember looking at song and saying, man, I feel like I need to make that guy's legs like he needs to he needs to see that this isn't a big deal. Like he needs to see that this is there are, um, you know, you do things different, but you do whatever you want you know, and, uh, I love how direct so you were about it though. Just like no excuses, like not even thinking about it moving forward, like not even yeah. worrying about it. Yeah. And I'm still that way. Um, with patients here, you know, obviously you gotta be a little more professional and you gotta be a little more understanding. Um, but the one thing I don't do very well is sympathy. Like, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. There's bad situations, but, um, I feel like that never, inspires moving forward that sticks you where you're at and you're thinking about where you're at instead of thinking about where you're going and so i say oh yeah that's bad deal like i, I shoot man i just talked to a kid uh actually the aunt of a kid in the quad cities 21 years old and uh tangled with a train and lost one arm left arm below the elbow left arm or left leg above the knee like, man, that's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. Like, right? Like, okay, let's figure, let's put this together. Let's, let's figure out where we're going. Let's put it together. And uh, maybe easier said than done, but sitting there talking about how bad it is or how devastating that is or how terrible luck you had or, man, I wish I wouldn't have been there that night or I wish I wouldn't have done that. Those things are, Time sucks and energy sucks in my world. Well, your mental toughness is is evident. And I think what match, excuse me, one match that really exhibits that to me is state your senior year first round against mm -hmm. number one seed Don Bosco. You break your arm in the match and you still go on to, to win. But just walk us through that match because that's one everyone talks about. Yeah, so that's like a... a... That's a that's a no excuses world, right? You make it to the state tournament, you're not supposed to be there. Uh, meaning, like, I was doing pretty good my senior year, but like, you know, I get in because you know I, we go to section at that time of sectionals and then districts, and I and I do pretty well, um, well enough to to qualify, right? And then you get drawn the Don Bosco state second place runner up, whatever he was, you know, the year before. Uh, and, and uh, if you're watching the Iowa state tournament now, you, Don Bosco hasn't missed a beat. They're still, they're Seriously. still hammering people. Seriously. Yeah. 
but uh, so yeah, so you take you get this draw that's not very good, not very favorable for the kid from Colfax who's not supposed to do much. Um, and but you're still there, and you're going to go out there and work. And that was the coaches and behind me and around me that were like, well, let's go do work and and uh, you go out there and, and bad things happen. I think that was my only injury timeout I took in all of high school. Um, and I remember like, shoot, that hurt. And I've broken some wrists and bones and stuff growing up, just being a kid screwing around. So what was the and situation? Re- like what were you, so, were you winning, yeah. losing or? I know it was like 30 seconds into the match. He snapped my head. I stuck my arm out and he spun and he did something. I don't know what happened, but it hit my wrist on this left side and, and it cracked. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, and I, he got the takedown and I called injury timeout and it was like 30 seconds into the match. And, and I called the, uh, I said, oh, my coach has come out like, ooh, what's that? And I was like, it's bad. It's broken. I was like, shit. Yeah, like, this is not good. I said, well, we just tape it up. Just tape it up and let's keep going. And the trainer comes running out and she put a wrap of pre-wrap and she put like a wrap or two of tape around my wrist. Like you would, like you would for like, you know, hey, give me a little extra grip. Like, as she goes running off the mat and I was like, Oh, well, here this goes. And, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't bend it. I, and, uh, I remember, I think if I remember right, and I don't know if this is accurate, so it might, shouldn't even probably say it, but I believe Mike Allen was the official for that match. And I remember like having a couple injury timeouts. Like, you know, ah, uh, uh, you know, and he and I'd yell and he'd stop the match and he would, you know, okay, you gotta, we gotta. And so, yeah, I remember at some point the official, whoever it was, looked at my high school coach and we were out of injury timeout. And he was like, he's like, it's okay. Just take, take 30 here and tape it up. Good. We're good. He's, he's going to be fine. And, uh, but I think I went on to, I mean, I don't know what this, I, I feel like most wrestlers know every match and every score of every match and every person they've ever wrestled. I'm not that type of guy, but um, I think I beat him pretty, pretty handily. I think it was 10 to four maybe, or something like that. I remember after just doing work, you know, one arm head up, just driving across and getting on top, hooking my nose, reaching across with one arm, trying to across his body, trying to grab and, and uh you know just savage oh my god i don't i was just trying to do anything to to dominate every position because i knew if as soon as i gave up position it was gonna you know it wasn't good so yeah then you want to beat him and and uh win the next round and it was we taped it up better before the next round but uh you know it uh it's just what you did it wasn't anything that was a big deal honestly i didn't feel like at the time it was that big of a deal it was kind of like yeah like uh what are you gonna are you gonna quit what are you gonna say oh no i'm arm hurts, wrist arm, hurts sorry I, uh, <laughs> like really that's what's gonna keep you out of wrestling like you've done this since you were four year or fourth grade third fourth grade and no legs and got beat up for how many years and a sore wrist is gonna keep you from wrestling in the state tournament like not a chance and at this point did you have any plans of wrestling beyond that state week in your senior year? No, not really. There's weird things that have happened uh, in my life that direct you down a path, um, good, bad, or indifferent. But that was definitely one of them. When uh, when I win that match, you realize that you're 
closer than you think. Back to my analogy of the of the guy digging in the tunnel. Like everybody's grinding, everybody's working, and you never know when you're gonna break through that other side. And when when you beat that kid, it's like, hmm, that is, uh, I'm a lot closer than I thought I was. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, this isn't that much of a fluke. I, that mentality changes from like, man, I'm lucky to be at the state tournament to like, I can wrestle with anybody in the state. Like, why can't I? And then why can't I go to the next level and wrestle? Um, so that was that was what springboarded that. And then that same kind of scenario happens in college uh, my junior year when I go, when I don't qualify, but am winning to in the, in the semifinals uh, to go to the finals of the conference tournament. And I'm beating a guy that tech followed me earlier in the year. And if I beat him and I'm beating him like six to one, he's at a writing time point. So it's six to two maybe. Um, and I, I lost that match. Um, and uh, I realized, like, and he goes on to get, like, fourth in the country the next week or week after D3 Nationals. And I said, man, I had that guy dead to rights. Like, they're not that good. Uh, I can be there. Um, and I can be there higher than that. Like, I, I had him beat. Like, I, that was mental mistakes on my behalf, and that was all my fault. But uh, if he got fourth, you know, so then that's what mentally springboards you to that next level. Same thing with, with uh, the Youngblood win. So. Isn't it crazy how it's truly just what you believe you're capable of? 100%. That's like nothing changed in the body, <clears throat> nothing changed in your game. It's just all the mental of it. It's just, it almost makes you frustrated. It's so mental sometimes. You can't even believe how, you yeah. know? Absolutely. Uh, it gives me goosebumps because you're right on the money because it's just exactly what it is. It is. I used to tell people all the time, like this sport is 90% mental, maybe 80% mental. You got to be physically fit. You got to be strong. You got to know some technique. But man, you have a hungry person that believes in themselves that isn't going to quit. That kid is hard to beat. Um, and even when you do, you don't want to do it again, you know? Um, and now it's our little youth club that I help coach, uh, man, we have kids and that's what we try to preach. I want fearless kids. I don't care if they win or lose. I want fearless kids that go out there and grind. And when they lose that kid knows, and honestly, it happened with my oldest son this year at district, man, he's 13, he's an eighth grader, tall, skinny kid. He wrestles cause dad makes him wrestle. Uh, but, uh, he's really pretty good. He's really pretty savvy. He's a pretty good technician. And, uh, he's beaten a kid eight to two in the first round, actually had a buy first round in the second round. He's beaten a kid eight to two and, uh, similar to his old man got caught on his back at that age, got caught on his back and pinned. He's frustrated. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Whatever, you know, man, but he did awesome. Like you were, you were beating him bad. How the tournament goes, he wrestles his way all the way back, and uh, he has an opportunity to wrestle the same kid again. And I told him, I said, buddy, that kid pinned you, but he doesn't want to wrestle you again. You were beating the brakes off of him until he pinned you. He doesn't – like, you have to have the mindset uh, and go out there and do work because he doesn't want to do this again. He feels lucky to get out of that match uh, with a win earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, he surely doesn't want to do it again. And Mason goes out there and pins the kid. 
takes him down, dominates him and pins him. And, uh, he ends up losing the true wrestle back for fourth, but I don't think he was even cared about that match. He was so excited about beating, avenging that loss from earlier that day. And, and honestly, it was all between the ears. Mm -hmm. It was right up here that, that he won that match. And that, you know, to me, that's the biggest win of the day. That's like, awesome like way to go buddy like that is like overcoming it in your brain and believing in your brain and you walk out there and and do that so it's awesome to see that right especially with a young person when they when they go through that and they go through a couple of those moments and because there's no worse feeling than in middle school at the at the regionals the districts you lose it's like it doesn't you know knowing that there's so many bigger events but people always say you know, if you're an eighth grader, the eighth grade state tournament is bigger than the Olympics to you. You know, it's, that mm-hmm. is the thing. So to have it happen there is is awesome. And to think back to, just to close the loop on this for folks listening, that state tournament where you broke your wrist, you end up taking the podium. So you get sixth at yeah. the Iowa State Tournament with a broken wrist. You go to Simpson College, which is a D3 program in Iowa. And kind of similar to high school, the first two years, I think you were like 13, 15, 14, and 16, something like that. Junior yeah. year, you're coming on and you brought up the moment I couldn't wait to ask you about is your junior year. You're at the conference tournament and I, uh, my brother wrestled at co and a lot of my friends wrestled at co. So I know that that D three qualifying tournament, I was brutal. Like, I it don't is. remember you had to get finals. You had to win it, whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. Um, you had to get final. You had to get finals. And there were some wild cards. They got handed out by my junior. Year. I hadn't done anything. I mean, I beat some people, but they, I wasn't in the running for one of those wild card spots. You know, they were getting given to returning all Americans. Um, so you had for me, I had to make uh, the finals to get a guaranteed bid to nationals my junior year, and I didn't do it, and I didn't go. So, but it's great it happened then versus like your senior year. Like your senior year kind of happened the first round at state when season's almost done, and you've had this awakening. Then you get to mm-hmm. college and have another great awakening your junior year. What happens after that point? Um, are you doing self talk? Are you doing visualization leading into your senior year? I talk to myself a lot. Um, I read a thing one time that, uh, 90% of your conversations are in your own head, um, not with other people. Um, and so how powerful those are and how, what those mean. Um, but I used to out loud, look in the mirror and repeat national champ to myself. I mean, hundreds of times, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times. And when you haven't even been to the national tournament and you're repeating national champ in the mirror, it seems really funny. It seems very far-fetched and it seems unattainable. Um, but when you start, <clears throat> you say it enough and you say it enough and you're looking in your own eyes and you're looking and you start believing and then you start believing and then it starts getting crazy. I mean, then it starts getting like, this guy's mentally uh, <laughs> not all there. Like he I is love not. that. And so like you start doing that and like, man, and then all of a sudden the people around you and then you start beating people. Then you go out there with this mindset that I, um nobody can beat me. I I can beat anybody. And you start doing that. And then you start actually doing it. And then they're like, holy cow, like he's possessed. And that is, uh, that is a really scary individual when it comes to uh, anybody, I don't care who it is. And they're going to, they're going to accomplish what they're setting out to do. And so you actually believed it in your core and like in your final. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, like, in fact, uh, one of my coolest pieces of memory, uh, you know, like the post-wedding videos where they talk, you know, like, hey, what do you want to tell the married couple? And, you know, they're 
friends and family are all talking. One of the coolest things I have from that whole college and national tournament was my sister-in-law walked around after the national tournament with a reporter and went up to like my high school coach was there. My, one of my youth coaches were there. Like obviously all my teammates and my parents and in-laws and, and relations were all, you know, like brother and like, all these people are there. And she would go up to these people and say, Hey, what do you want to say? Oh, that's a great, you know, people are crying. This is the greatest match I've ever seen. It was awesome. You know, like that very nice thing. It's a really neat thing to watch. Um, for me, uh, better than watching any wrestling match. But towards the end, she goes up to my two college roommates, uh, Eric Nix and Justin Song, and and uh, they're sitting there, and uh, like everybody's like excited and jumping up and like yeah, stuff, and they're just sitting there like kind of kicked back. Uh, uh, full disclosure, Nix might have had a big dip in, uh, just sitting there like very unimpressed, arms folded. And she goes, what do you want to say to Nick? You, you know, you want to say anything to him? And I remember, I have it. Eric, Eric looks at the camera and he's like, well, you said you were going to do it all year. And now you did it. And now we have to listen to you. You know, <laughs> like it's the mindset, right? It was like, he's absolutely correct. And now I see Eric at little youth tournaments. He helps the Earlham club and he's a wonderful guy. And, and uh, I, uh, it was the people around you knew what it was. Uh, the people that weren't thought it was amazing thought it was this overcoming adversity thought it was something that was bigger than anything and that's why the today show calls and that's why all these people uh usa today and all these things happen but the reality is is the core of the people around you were like yeah he's been he's been on a mission man this is not a surprise to us um and that is the the biggest honor or you know thing they they believed in me mm -hmm. my coaches believed in me even Sometimes you kind of think, man, they're crazy. And I have one of those kids too, man, our middle son. He is nuts. But I'll tell you what, I'll take him every, he's a sixth grader and he knock on wood right now. He's going to win the little kid state title in a week, next weekend, the 25th, 26th. Let's go. He's going to do it. He has 98 pounds of just craziness. I mean, he is so, he is a terrible wrestler. Full disclosure. He is a terrible technician at wrestling, <laughs> but he will straight murder kids and then help him up he's the sweetest boy ever but he's crazy flexible and his belief in himself is second to none i've ever seen in my life i mean they're completely different boy and then we have a third boy that's younger but like this middle one is like different than the oldest not better not worse just way different and then this middle one man he just he walks out there and he's gonna he's gonna wreck shop and and uh you are not going to beat him. And if you do, you better feel real lucky because he's coming for you next. I mean, like it's a weird mind and, and they're all, and yeah, I don't know, you know, they say though that, you know, all successful people, like when I, like, like uber successful people, like a Conor McGregor, like a Will Smith, if you listen to enough YouTube videos of these people, they all say that they were so unrealistic. Like if you're realistic, that's just a path to, 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 to mediocrity. Me. Exactly. Yeah. So these guys are so, out there in their beliefs in a good way that a lot of their friends, you know, sometimes think maybe they're losing it. Like you're quitting your job. What are you thinking, man? But I think yeah. the, the core of it though, is you have that belief, but also the amount of work you're probably putting in to back it up is also like now it's being driven by a new passion. So I'm curious, you have that moment, your junior year, you have some real, you know, inner moments and you start to change yourself, talk, change your visualization what kind of work are you putting in with that? Were you doing like swims or what are you doing? Yeah, I swam a lot. I aerodyne biked a lot, wrestled a lot. And, you know, just like pig farm and the kind of blessing in disguise, um, 
uh, there were often times that, you know, for conditioning, oh, we're going to go, they're going to go run, you know, they're going to put your, put your gym shoes on and go to the field house and they're going to do big sprints in this big gym. And oftentimes, um, well, I can run fine, but it doesn't really condition me like other things do. Swimming is a better conditioner for me, or, or like I said, airdyne bike. But oftentimes, somebody would hang back and we'd just wrestle. One of the assistant coaches, one of the student assistant guys that just graduated, I don't know if Corey was still sticking around then, but I would just wrestle. Like, how are you going to get in shape? They have two two coaches, you know, that just graduated a couple years ago that would just beat on me for 15 minutes while these guys were down and the whole rest of the team was down in the gym running. Mm-hmm. Like, and so this kind of happy accident of just having to wrestle a lot, I just wrestled a lot. I mean, there was a lot of mat time in that year. There was a lot of weight training. I was as strong as an ox and I was healthy. And I say it to this day, if, if you can get a kid or an athlete healthy into the state tournament, they're going to do well. Most of these kids are so beat up and even at the college level, right? Like they're kids because I'm old, but like they're beat up. And if you can get a healthy, hungry uh, wrestler in there, they can do really well. So I was really healthy. I didn't ever knock on wood, had zero injuries in, uh, in college wrestling. That's really the, but, the Ben Askren yeah. approach, though. He's big on that. Like, he, he didn't do a lot of cross-training. He just wrestled to get in shape. And yeah. it makes yeah. so much sense when you, when you hear about it. It's not like a runner is wrestling to get in shape. The runner's running to get in shape, right? Uh, yeah. It's specific to the sport, obviously, right? And I think there's something to be said for running and getting in your head and just having you know some extra motivation. But, man, you think about all the time that's spent doing that stuff, maybe it would be better suited just wrestling. Yeah, you just you just wrestle, and and it doesn't have to be some of the old school stuff. And I, I, it's changed a lot now since I was there. But like that old school mentality of having that room, you know, so hot, and you're sluggish wrestling, and you're kind of rolling around just trying to sweat. That does, that's not productive wrestling. Like you need that temperature to be at an ideal level. You need to be able to move. You need to be able to move when you're tired. You need to be able to work through those positions when you're tired, and and then keep improving every position which you know seems obvious but when we want to really get into shape well golly what's going to burn the lungs like sprinting you know killers in the gym well okay but man uh you're missing out on precious hours and time there's so much time in the day there's so much time in your high school career there's so much time in your college career and that's a finite number and that ends at a certain time and if you have, if you can do something that uh, is benefiting what you're doing, I think that that's uh, going to be beneficial. It was beneficial for me, I think. So. And you talk about at one point in your career, just letting my mom in through my door buzzer. Uh, at one point in your career, I think it was your senior year, you had a big breakthrough where you realized how to wrestle when you were really, really, really tired. And maybe it wasn't something that happened once, or it was an epiphany, but. Um, it sounds like it was a, a big moment in your development. Absolutely. You got to, you know, it's just like that with everything. Like when you figure out that the coincidence between keeping working and success are correlated, um, as soon as you figure that out, the sooner you figure that out, the better you are. Like, 
nobody gets really good at anything because they are tired of going to practice. Like I get it. Like, I think it's a balance. I think uh, I'm not a year round wrestling advocate. I just am not from a personal standpoint, like our kids will never do it. Um, I don't advocate for it. I'm sure it's for some people, but it's not for me. But like, if you got like, it's you, if you're just working, you don't have to be wrestling. You don't have to be doing it. You, you got to be just working. And as soon as you figure out, man, uh, this work that I'm putting in today is paying off tomorrow. And I saw that image or a graph of this hockey stick. Like, it's not like if you, you know, the, the X and Y axis and the more you work, the more successful you get. It's not that at all. It's like, it's like the shape of a laying down hockey stick where you have to work, 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 work for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden it sweeps up. Yep. And, and that's when you start getting successful. So uh, nowadays, uh, kids nowadays, I'm not jumping on that bandwagon. I think kids work their tail off nowadays, but uh, we have to, youth coaches, parents, whoever you're talking about, have to instill that uh, this instant gratification of working hard. Man, I lost every single match. Um, my boys are winning all kinds of matches and are bummed that they lose. I'm like, I, I, I like that you don't like to lose. I mean, that's a, I can't teach you that. And I'm really excited that you hate to lose. That is a great mind to have. Yeah. We got to, we got to channel that somehow. And so as soon as you're able to do that, um, that's when you start finding that, man, the more work I put in, the more successful I am. And that means the more work I put in wrestling, the better I am at football or the more I put in with football, the better I am at wrestling or, or track that man, I, I do track. And next thing you know, I'm, I do basketball. And next thing you know, I'm really good at track. Those are all correlations. Like, that all have to do with putting in work. You don't get to be a really good track runner by, by you know, not doing work in the off season. And it so doesn't have to be track. You're big on the multi-sport. 100%, man. That's a, I, I believe in it, man. I, um, I think at some point you got to narrow it down and it's hard for me to say, I probably feel like a, a, a hypocrite by saying that because I mean, I did all sports till I was a freshman in high school. And then I stopped all sports after junior high and just focused on wrestling. But I played, I played basketball and football and everything all the way through junior high track. Um, but, um, you know, I think at some point you got to kind of narrow that down and focus that down, but you also got to understand what your body's doing and what your body's telling you. And most of the time you got to listen to that and you got to listen to what you're going to do genetically. And man, maybe you, you know, if you quit, one sport because you don't think you're the starting player, but you know, two years mm -hmm. later, you're a foot taller than everybody else. Maybe that's, maybe you should have stuck with that, you know, right. like, and I uh, think it's big too. If the, and I, I say this all the time, so I feel like a broken record, but sorry. if it's the kid driving it, like, let's say you're after middle school, right? Multi-sports up and up until middle school, freshman year, high school, the kids coming to you and like begging to wrestle all year round, or any sport or any activity, I think it's a little different, right? Whereas if it's being mm -hmm. driven from an outside source, it's not as productive, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like that, that becomes the conversation of like, okay, you're not going to do this, but what are you going to do? Right. It's not going to be nothing. It's not going to be no work. It's going to be, now we're going to do some sort of performance training or, or plyometric training or CrossFit training or something that's going to fill that gap. That's going to help you, but, I get it. You don't, you don't want to 
keep wrestling. It's a long season. It's a long sport. You don't want to, uh, or whatever it is, but I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a uh, kid driven for sure. When you get closer to that high school time frame, you know, I, I battle with parents and, and, uh, stuff all the time. And I don't mean battle in a bad way, but I mean, uh, I said, well, I don't want to force my kids to wrestle. And I say, well, I, we do. Um, and not my, <laughs> not my wife, not my, my wife is pretty bad, whatever, you know, whatever they want to do is fine with her. And that's great. Um, and that's why she's mom and that's why they love her. <laughs> but like, I'm gonna say, make... how'd you get her on board with that one? That well, I, well, it's cause I, this is, this is it. I'll tell you. And, and, and it's hard to argue with it. I think, I think it's pretty flawless, but I, I I'm sure there's a lot of holes in it. <laughs> um, I think like I, you force your kid to wrestle through junior high the same way you force them to read, do math, uh, do science, go to school, all of those things. Not because you expect them to be an English major or write books or be a mathematician or be a teacher or you don't teach, you don't have your kids do those things for a specific reason other than to make them a better person. Right. Right. Like uh, when you think about the title of your podcast, right? Like, you are wrestling to make you are going through wrestling for from third, fourth grade, and some kids start sooner. Uh, our kid, we have pre K K kids in our club now uh, that run all the way through eighth grade, but you're wrestling from third grade to eighth grade to become a better human, to learn how to work hard, to work, learn how to uh, not be afraid of conflict or struggles or not feeling great to understand how, what it means to really grind and for, you know, to figure out how to work yourself out of problems. Um, and the same reason that you force your kids to do when they get home from school to do homework and read. And the same reason you force them to do, do their homework in math is the same reason I make them wrestle. And that is because it's, and I, I they're going to learn, they're, they're going to learn how to read. They'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, we're, we're doing this because it's making them better people. And that's just my own kind of uh, crazy mindset. And so when I talk to all the kids and all the parents in our community where I live, I'm like, like, oh, he doesn't really want to wrestle this year. I'm like, he's like, I, I feel weird kind of forcing him to, but I really wish he would. I'm like, well, you can force him to like you, you make him go to school. Do you, does he ever wake up in the morning and say, man, I can't wait to go to school. No, he gets home. You say, Hey, Johnny, do you want to do homework? He's like, no, they never say the ad. But you make them do it because it's the right thing to do because it's making them better. It's easy. And then you hope it, they they like it enough that they keep wrestling in high school. That's the yeah. Well, and maybe and maybe they don't. I, right. I, I'm probably uh, I'm at right now. I'm probably if I were guessing my own kids, I'm probably at sixty percent chance. I would bet my oldest doesn't wrestle in in a high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one hundred percent okay with that. Um, meaning like. I definitely don't live vicariously. I feel like that you see that all the time too, that vicariously living through the kids, like, like their success is, is dad's success. Uh, That is a brutal uh, misconception. Those are, those are, those should be like child abuse cases. Um, Like I had my success. I don't need your success. Meaning like if you're successful in the sport and you love it, great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want you to just get stronger and, and figure out like how to be uncomfortable and work through that because that is more important to you long-term than this outside single that you're really good at. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, uh, I think it's fascinating. And I, I, 
you know, at first you hear it and uh, you hear someone makes their kids wrestle and maybe there's a negative connotation, but the way you broke it down right there and the way you don't put a big focus on the results as much as the effort, it makes sense. And uh, yeah, no, no, the results never matter. Like ever, like, uh, and, and it's not because everybody gets a ribbon. I'm not in that camp either. Right. You gotta, earn, you gotta earn success and you gotta work hard. Nobody, no, not everybody gets a ribbon. I don't know. I don't believe in that, but <laughs> I, I also don't care if you win or lose. Like I had a, a real tough conversation with our nine-year-old this year after a match. Cause he quit in the match. He just, he just was flailing and the kid was better than him and he was going to get beat by him either way. And he would, he, came back and was actually doing really well. And, and then he got, he got in terrible position and, uh, and he got pinned and I was so upset with him. Uh, not because he lost and he knows that and my wife, everybody around me knows that that I don't care about that stuff. Uh, I care about effort and, and it's like, uh, and, and that's honestly, you brought up Ben Askren's name earlier. That's exactly where I get some of this stuff from. But also uh, when I read or see some of his stuff or listen to some of his stuff, I'm like, man, he's right on the money. Same. We have a parallel vision of that. Like, like I, I don't care about wins and losses. Like I want him to be fearless and I want him to go out there and just give her hell and, and uh, we'll teach you how to wrestle, but we can't, we can't ever quit. Um, and that's it. I mean, that's all there's to it. Your mindset is is one of those one percenter mindsets, and and that's why you had, I'm guessing, the success you had. And if we get to, you know, we haven't hit on this yet, but no interview with Nick Ackerman would be complete without touching on this amazing 2001 NCAA tournament. And I think it'd be a good way to wind it down because, so if we kind of pull back to wrestling, yep. your junior year, you have that moment. Your senior year, you're uh, you're in the zone. You're telling everyone you're going to win nationals. You get to the nationals. Was that a struggle to get there or is it you got there and you were feeling pretty good going into the nationals? Uh, I, I got there. I wouldn't say I got there easy, uh, meaning like it's always work, but it wasn't hard. Um, I got to, you know, the conference finals and wrestled Rob Murray in the conference finals. It's televised um, on Iowa public television and, and uh, win or lose, I'm going to the national tournament. And that tournament was tough. Uh, the couple weeks before was the conference duels and I lost to Zach Gordon uh, from Co and Rob Murray from Loris, both of them in the conference duels. A couple weeks later with the conference tournament, and that was uh, in, and uh, I was on uh, Zach Gordon and Rob Murray were on the same side of the bracket, and Rob knocked Zach off. So I made my way to the finals. Um, against Rob never had wrestled Zach at the conference tournament. Um, but, uh, I lost him in the, in the conference finals. And, so you lose the conference finals. Yeah. Lose the conf- okay. Yeah. So I, I lost twice, um, to, uh, I lost, you know, twice in conference duels. And then the next uh, couple weeks later in the conference finals, I lost to, to him in the finals. And, but you know, either way you're going to the national tournament. Um, and then at the national tournament, uh, that was a that was a pretty fun uh, couple day or a few day event. That uh... so people need to realize this. <clears throat> Even up until two weeks before the nationals, you're still hitting some speed bumps. You drop two at the conference duel. You drop one at mm-hmm. the conference, and you get to the nationals. And this guy from uh, Nick Slack, sixty match mm-hmm. win streak. He's I guess 
I'm guessing who everyone was picking to win it. How are people yeah. giving, what chances are people giving you at this point? I was the seventh, I think I was the seventh seed in the tournament. So zero, <laughs> you know, uh, I have to go through a lot of really good guys just to make the finals. And if you make the finals, you're wrestling the defending national champ who at that time, yeah, he, up to that tournament, he was 60. So through that tournament, he's 63 and oh, when I wrestle him and uh, just dominating people. And so I go to this, um, uh, I, Win the first round. Uh, second round is against Rob Murray. Uh, the quarterfinals uh, against Rob Murray the first day of the tournament, the two-day tournament. So I have to beat this guy who's beat me the last two times. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wrestle uh, to a 0-0 match on the scoreboard, and he had a writing time point. Um, I think it was maybe the first time I was ridden my senior year. Um, or gave up a point for writing time. It was, you know, I kind of had that figured out. Uh, but he had done better than I did for sure and, and was putting it to me. And then with like 26 or 25 seconds left in the third period, um, same thing, near wrist. I get him to step, and instead of a heel pick, I loop around to an outside single um, and uh, have an outside single head on the inside, and I circle around behind him uh cut across to the far ankle and with like seven or eight seconds left i catch the far ankle pull it in and ride him for a few seconds to win two to two to one um as the scoreboard would read and then uh, i'm on the right side of the bracket going into day two of the national tournament so that was uh honestly as big a win as the national tournament for me to avenge that loss that i just lost to I mean, that wow. was a huge, in fact, I, I, uh, I remember not sleeping that night, jumping up and down, like on my bed thinking, I can't believe I just beat Rob Murray. Like that guy's a stud and he's had my number and I just beat him. And, uh, I was so excited, you know, like, wow. um, and so then you go into day two, um, it was an odd side of the bracket. If you look at the bracket, uh, the guy who I should have wrestled in the semis, um, Injury defaulted out of the tournament. Um, so I have no semis match, which is like super weird, first of all. Um, and so you're in uh, the finals. So I'm in the finals. I'm in the finals. And, and, and uh, we're going to see who I'm wrestling and you kind of know who it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, uh, I was in a weird place in my mind and a very irrational uh when you start beating people, it doesn't matter. You know, and I say it to the kids nowadays, I, I don't care what the number of the seed is. I don't care if you're supposed to win or you're not supposed to win. There, people are ready to be done and give them a reason to, to fold up and go home. Um, and, man, we, uh, my coach, Peterson, I just saw him the other night. Uh, halfway through the season, he'd start, you know, I'd shake my hand before I'd walk out there. He'd slap me in the face and he'd say, nobody beats Nick Ackerman. Like, that's right. I'd turn around. I'd walk out there on the mat and do work. Uh, but <laughs> he did that. And I turned around. I remember looking at that guy and thinking, holy cow, he's big. Like he had these little ankles and his big, huge shoulders. And I remember thinking, holy cow, this guy's big. And uh, there's no way we're the same weight class. And, and I kind of laughed. I think I probably did laugh. I was like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. Here we go. And you walk out there and, and uh, he, I take a shot, take a high crotch, and he steps around. I don't get it very well, and he steps around, and they give him two, um, probably before they probably should have, but it was fine. They gave him two. 
he draped a hand over and his knee was there and I took him for a ride on a little Peterson roll that I would do. They hang their hand over the side. I'd switch from a high crotch and scoop that back leg and, and I can just sit my feet or my legs right underneath of me. And I put him onto his back for five, uh, reversal and near fall. And then, uh, tilted him up for another cheap three. And so at the end of the first period, I'm beating the defending national camp eight to three, eight to two. Um, Crazy. Yeah. Yes. Like, I couldn't tell well, if it was a Grammy or how do you, how you got into it, but it looked like it was a like a Grammy Peterson type situation. I didn't know you know what you where you were at yeah. before that, but yeah, I was in on a high crotch, um, and he's draped over the top of me, and he steps his uh, left leg around kind of behind where it would be between my feet, and he wraps his arm around my waist, mm-hmm. and so they, oh that's two right? They give him even though I have the leg out here, they give him that two, and so I kind of shimmy a little bit and then just like wait till he sinks this arm over my side and as soon as he trap that reverse the arm and uh, reverse leg uh put him on his back and and uh that was that was five and then like i said three more and then and then the wheels kind of started shaking <laughs> uh yeah, we're going down the road pretty quick and and uh honestly i attribute it to the night before being up all night thinking about winning, beating Rob Murray and thinking about like, holy cow, like this is happening. Like, and, and I was in good shape as anybody in the country, but man, late in that national finals, there were I, nothing I could do. Right. But. So you were gassing. The, for I, I was gassing, but I was taking shots. I like couldn't stop from attacking. So I would shoot in and he would snap block spin and he'd, get around behind I couldn't stop his front headlock moves and he was just faster and stronger and better than I was and uh and I but he'd let me up he, he had to he was down you know eight to eight to four now or whatever yeah nine to four and then he you know right. he just is stair stepping this takedown escape up and there's nothing I can do to stop it and I'm just I can't stop shooting like oh, what I should have done is just square up and circle and bang a little bit, fake shots. It should have done something. But honestly, I think it was because in the, if I back up to my junior year in the conference semifinals uh, to go to national, I did that. I stopped. I, Oh, I'm beating this guy six to one or whatever it was. I can, I can hold out here. Right. And I give up, I give up two stalling calls and a takedown out of bounds and I lose. Well, that's not happening again. So I'm through this, pound it as fast as I, as hard as I can. I don't care. I'm taking you down again. And, uh, it didn't work and didn't work. <laughs> he scored, he brought it all the way back. And then he was like 13, 11 and he, and, uh, I got a hold of the near wrist and I got him to step and I sunk in, uh, um, maybe I crossed, I don't know, whatever it was. I remember, I remember hooking in and I having this in and, and, uh, yeah, I was outside, you know, I had it in and I remember, I couldn't see the clock. I wasn't looking for it, but I felt the air go out of him. I felt him just go like, uh, like on my back. Like I grabbed that leg. I sucked it in. I wasn't even close to finishing it, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. And I felt him just kind of wind come out like, man, time's up. And then they patted us both and time was over. And that was, the, that was, what emotions to, were you feeling in that moment? Man, I don't know. Um, Pretty happy, obviously. Um, 
know, relieved isn't the right word. I don't know if I had, I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. I don't know. Uh, I just remember thinking like, holy cow, like, I can't believe this is, this is uh, over. This is, this is, this just happened. Um, I, uh, I'm not a very religious person. Um, not that I'm not I grew up going to Catholic church and I'm not anti-religion by any means, but, uh, I remember like I always used to, and I still do now <clears throat> would pray to family members that were past, not like, uh, God. Cause I thought, shoot, he's going to help everybody. Like, why is he going to help me more than that guy? Like, uh, hope we're both safe, but, uh, I'd always kind of talk to past family members, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so I remember thinking that for sure. That was kind of like, I remember leaning back and like, holy cow, like uh, we did this. This is the thing we did. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, get up like you've been there before <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, go celebrate. I think you, and I may, may be misremembering this, but one of the interviews I listened to, you said that someone, or whether your coach or family member, said, ah, "It's the best moment of your life, greatest night of your yeah. life," and, and you go, "I hope not." <laughs> I do, yeah. I Which remember that. Like... I remember that. I I saw that guy the other day too. Actually, I saw him just the other night, last night, Wednesday. Uh, Nick, this is gonna be the greatest night of your life. And I remember th this is that was after that match. We were going to an interview. He came up and he and he and I said, "Man, I hope not." Like, because the reality is, if that's it, like. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All downhill from here. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, like, it's just a uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's exactly, you know, what you realize is it's not even close to anything. Uh, meaning in real life, right? Like think about your kids, you think about your family, you think about all the things that are really important. And you think, man, uh, wrestling is, is a big part of that. Um, and it's absolutely changed my life, uh, in a way that I feel like I'll never have the opportunity to repay. Like mm -hmm. everybody feels that way. Everybody that's wrestled. I can't, I, if they said they didn't feel this way, I, I don't know if I'd have much time for them. Meaning like it's given everybody more than they will ever give back to it. You think about the amount of time, if you've wrestled for any time in your life, the amount of time your coaches put into you and the amount of time your parents hauled you around to places and the amount of time that they put up with you cutting weight and your terrible attitude and you, they put up with all of these things and sitting in a gym and all this stuff and, and this sport, what it has taught me and what it has taught so many others is that, uh, you know, you, you whatever those lessons are, you will never repay it. You will never give back to the sport what it is given to you, period. Perfect way to wind this down. Nick Ackerman, you have been a gem to have on the podcast today, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And Appreciate it. Now that we have it on record, that DVD series, it's going to happen in the next year or so. If someone's listening who's got a production company in Des Moines, let's make it happen. Shoot me a message on That's Instagram. It. If not, I'll come out and do it myself. And uh, it, that would just be life-changing for someone to have that and just somehow get it to like the coaches association and give it out to everyone. So they have it like just boom, that that's got to happen. And I think, yeah, it's uh, got to be digital. It's got to be easy. Maybe it, even YouTube. So yeah. I mean, yeah, you have a, yeah, absolutely. I, I, 
the reality is this, uh, I don't need a dollar from it. I don't, not that I'm, I, I have a job that I work at and I don't want, I mean, I want to make, I want to impact kids and, and help coaches not make a dollar from it. So let's figure it out and, yeah. and, uh, let's get it done. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate for your on time, the podcast. man. Yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Have a great day, man. Thanks for listening to this interview with Nick Ackerman. If you want to support this podcast, please support our sponsors. Go to btschicago.org slash donate. Download the Quant Wrestling app. And if you want to see more from the podcast, go to our YouTube channel to watch the full video interview from today's episode. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!